0: In this free country, where nothing is free, the cost of living is a killing me.
1: Hi, my name is A.D. Silverstein, and I'd like to welcome you back to another episode of the Impresario Rock and Roll Radio Show. This episode will feature Joshua Waters Rudge, and you are listening to The Cost of Living is Killing Me by his band, The Skints
0: us for and claiming that they love us rage I feel the pain I mean i my wages makes and ladder's. does but the aim of the game is to stay things get paid and again, game and again smuggle with my hopes and my jeans and a drain and my name I feel my But I feel like I'm living in a grandhog day. money 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 must the world okay but it's funny because I don't know if I feel that way
1: a couple years back I was working as a server at a sushi restaurant in New Jersey the restaurant had a pretty eclectic staff. The sushi chefs were Japanese, the kitchen staff was Peruvian, and the servers represented every color of the rainbow. Black, white, Asian, British, Irish, Chinese, Jewish, you name it. Despite these differences, we were all on the same boat, trying to navigate the unstable waters of American socioeconomics, always looking to make landfall, always looking for stability. Bob Marley's music often played in the background at the restaurant, always assuring us that every little thing would be all right. Well, one night after getting home from work, I began to wonder whether there were any good modern reggae bands. I did a quick Google search and somehow ended up hearing The Cost of Living is Killing Me by The Skins. And to be honest, I've been listening to their music ever since. Other than Josh on guitar and vocals, The Skins is comprised of Marcia Richards on lead vocals, keyboard, saxophone, melodica, flute, and guitar, Jamie Kirikaitis on drums and vocals, and Jonathan Doyle on bass. So Josh, one of the things that I love about The Skins is how eclectic your music is. Can you tell me about the group's musical background and how you guys met each other? Uh,
0: Me and Marcia knew each other from maybe like the age of five or six or something we'd kind of gone to the same school and stuff and then when we went to high school, age 11 uh, John and Jamie who were a couple years older than us as well as a bunch of other friends, you know, we were kind of like the weird, punk rock skateboarding, music obsessed trying to play guitar kind of kids so we kind of always used to hang around together and all that and then yeah, like uh, as it got a little bit older, you know, I'm like 14, 15 and wanted to like be in a punk band and stuff my friends and You know, when Jamie got involved, stuff kind of took a bit more of a reggae-matic turn and we're all kind of really getting into a lot of the old, you know, a lot of the old Studio One and Channel One and Treasure Isle and just a lot of, like, classic Jamaican music and stuff. But, yeah, there's always been a really broad mix of influences. Marcia comes from, like, classical music background, so she was kind of bringing in certain, like, harmonic ideas and contrary motion and stuff it was maybe not so much coming from, like, my sort of punk background, if you like. And then, yeah, like, The Skins, as you know it, kind of came together.
1: So one of my favorite songs by The Skins is The Cost of Living is Killing Me. Can you tell me about how the band wrote that song?
0: That was actually in a session we did a little EP at the studio in London called Rack Recordings. I think we did like a it's like a little three track publishing deal we did at the time in exchange for the studio time. Yeah, and we were that that one we kind of definitely wrote together. I think I remember like Jamie kind of developing that chorus hook and me right me wanting to like have like a clever Little lion to put on top of it, and that was "Cost of Living's Killing Me." Yeah, and then we all kind of wrote our the different verse parts separately, brought them together. But really, it was the baseline. I remember being the foundation of that whole thing. John's baseline had been sitting on it for a minute. We'd used it in a couple of like maybe live segues before that, but hadn't really put it to song use. But um, but yeah, man. Obviously, "Cost of Living's Killing Me," like you said, something millions of people in the world can relate to Um, and you know definitely when you're trying to uh, uh, make a living playing music in this world if you've ever
1: immersed yourself into that then you definitely know about that one so yeah So were there any points in time when the band was really struggling financially?
0: Man we still are man yeah it's not it's not a joke you know we've had various members of the band over the years have been on the doll, what we call the doll guess like welfare as you would call it and stuff. You know what I mean? Um, uh, yeah. As adults trying to survive and, 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 um, yeah, to commit your life to, to this and to try and, you know, have what people that are kind of on a normal living wage have is, a uh, yeah it's a crazy thing to do it's tough obviously but you know by no by no means are we the worst off people in the world you know what I mean very thankful for what I do have what we have and have had you know growing up and having homes and loving families and stuff like that you know what I mean it's not I'm not trying to make it like a poverty story but um yeah the cost of living is is a uh, is a hard thing to acquire
1: in this world another song that I absolutely love by you guys is The Forest for the Trees. What is that song about, and how did you write it?
0: Jamie uh, wrote the. I think he told me the story, yeah, it was, that, it was a while ago now as well. He wrote that, he was like driving back with some friends down the motorway, and I remember he was like listening to one dub album, and he got the inspiration, yeah, I don't know, just started singing the vocal line, but Jamie wrote most of that one, and then Marcy wrote her verse, I wrote my bit.
1: So there's this one line in that song, and it goes something like, I don't try to derive my pride blind from my nationality, no way. And in many ways, that seems like a great response to what's going on in the world right now in terms of isolationist nationalism. And I was wondering if you feel comfortable talking about it, how you feel about what is going on in the UK right now, politically.
0: Yeah, it's just, it's, it's really upsetting. Um, and, you know, most sort of nationalistic, patriot-minded people who think that their way and their country or their thing is, like, best and everyone else is sucks, they probably, the reality is they don't know anyone that isn't like themselves, you know, for the most part. And as someone who knows lots of people who are not like myself and has travelled all over the world and met lots of different kinds of people, I can... Categorically tell them that they're wrong. You know, the royal family isn't English. If you go back, however, far, you know what I mean. Or the Queen's husband, Prince Philip, is Greek. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like I don't know what what world, what planet people are living on.
1: Yeah, and on some level, it's like we need you know the arts now more than ever to you know try to bring people together. I guess, and I mean, I one of the things I love about your stuff is like you know it's so multicultural. There's you know there's so many influences. I think it's really a testament to, like, the value that so many different cultures bring to the art.
0: No, thanks, man. Yeah, I would say, I would say, yeah, I mean, I think our, our band is a, is proof that multiculturalism works and immigration works, do you know what I mean? It's like, there's no, without without immigration, there's no skints for sure, man.
1: So moving on to sort of like the music industry at this point. Um, Do you feel like the internet has hurt musicians' ability to make money off of their music? And if so, what do you feel like is the best means for making money as a musician today?
0: Well, we've never been on a major label, so I wouldn't say it's hurt us because without the internet we wouldn't have been able to do anything or go anywhere unless we wanted to work with a huge label, which we've never really entertained. So, I mean, yeah, obviously, you know, you can't sell, physically sell music like you used to be able to. But um, in terms of other revenue for us, it's live and merch. That's where the money's really coming in.
1: So Josh, what do you feel are the biggest problems with today's music industry?
0: Personally, I think one of the biggest problems in the industry is the lack of giving anything more than one chance anymore, you know? When you think, uh, like, Bruce Springsteen didn't pop off till like, his fourth or fifth album or something. Bob Marley took, like, nine albums. Nowadays, you're signed and you don't bust on your first album, maybe even your first couple of singles, then you're done. Whereas the ARs or or, or the labels, whoever, just just are so impatient and so such in a state of panic that anything other than instant commercial success is kind of deemed to be a failure, which I think is really sad because um, you're probably not allowing some of the best people and some of the best stuff to like get to where it needs to be
1: um, because it is such a numbers game, you know what I mean? So going off of that, I don't know if you're a Frank Zappa fan, but I once saw this interview with him where he talks about the old cigar-chomping music executives of the 1950s and the 1960s. And he basically said that those guys were way less conservative and better for the art form than the hip new young executives who claim that they know what the young kids will like and what will sell and what's cool. Those older guys supposedly tended to be way more humble um, and open to experimentation, which you know Zappa obviously says was better for the art form.
0: Yeah, I, I know the interview you're talking about, and it's 100% like that now. Because all the A and Rs at the labels, they're like the hip radio DJs and stuff like that. So like they have the monopoly, and they think they are the arbiters of like what is cool or what is not cool to get signed, playlisted, all of that stuff. And yeah, there is very little trance taking or just any, for anything that doesn't suit them is very very difficult when it's kind of so insular and incestuous in that
1: respect. So despite the A&R executives, the Skins have reached a level of success that very few musicians ever reach. What would you say was the most crucial moment of your career that got you to where you are today?
0: Yeah, no, it's been a, just a really long time of lots of little things. Because the first ever mission of the band was to play a venue called The Standard, which is in Walthamstow, which is like in our local area and that was like the first mission and then beyond that like the biggest we could have ever imagined being was uh playing at a venue called the underworld in camden in london which is like 500 capacity punk rock club and to us like that was like where the biggest bands you can imagine being played so we've played with 90 percent of the bands we've grown up listening to that we would never ever imagine playing with you know what i mean i'm just i think off the top of my head like no effects or a mighty mighty boss tones or uh less jake real big fish cap down or some of the reggae legends that we've met and all that sort of stuff we would never ever 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 have thought that at the beginning but um yeah no i would there hasn't really been one moment it's been it's just been years of graft but you know uh i think you know the, the instagram generations kind of Especially musicians, young ones or not even young but naive ones, kind of got people a bit fucked up. Where like they, people want it all now, today. You know, people got Amazon Prime; they want it on the doorstep next day. And you go into any of those music colleges or, you know, people that are trying to get signed to a major label right now, bro. They don't want to sit in a van for ten years doing what we've done, starving, but having a great time. Do you know what I mean? They don't want to do it. They want it like click, and I got it tomorrow, everything that I ever wanted. So, yeah, it's a it's a weird one.
1: Yeah, but going back to your successes, it seems like if you look at where you are right now and you look at where you started, even if you did more than you ever thought possible back then, in the here and now, there will always be that insatiable hunger for more.
0: Yeah, that's, that's what I would say that like, I would take away from this, is that it never ends. It never ends. Like I said, all these venues and there's been a lot as well where it's like you were looking forward to that one and then by the time you get there you're already on to the next thing of what you think it should be you know and the same with us like you know dreaming of being able to like go to America and now we've like done been to the US like seven times we're about to go back and it's like and it's still like looking forward it's like okay well next time we want to go and be this big and you know what I mean it doesn't stop it doesn't stop and that's kind of a scary thing to live with as well because it's like obviously, you know, we've got like goal and we are enjoying it as well, but it's kind of scary to know that like it's probably never going to be enough, do you know what I mean? No matter what happens. So, And, and that's the thing that you've kind of based your whole lifestyle on. It's, it's kind of a little bit overwhelming
1: if you think too deeply about it. Having said that, at this point, is there a goal that the band has in mind? So the mission for us
0: right now is is just more getting to a uh, level of financial stability for us to just kind of exist and be able to carry on doing this. After 11 years in or whatever, there's not delusions of grandeur. We we know kind of what we are. We know what it takes uh, to be the kind of band we want to be. It's literally just... um, just a money thing right now man and obviously like like, you know keep moving forward and playing bigger venues and all that and and higher up on the festival bill and all that sort of stuff like great but um yeah no I'm not I'm I'm definitely not going to sit here and tell you like we're trying to take over the world and 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 change the face of music in 2019 at all. we're just literally trying to do our thing and and um Yeah, and and, and just
1: try and live and be happy. (laughs) Amid the impending suffering that humanity faces right now, the need for music has never been greater. And while it may not be reflected in musicians' pocketbooks, I can tell you from experience that it is reflected in the hearts of everyone looking for hope that every little thing will be all right. free country next time on the Impresario Rock and Roll radio show for us there's always humor to be found in even the darkest of situations like that's that's how you move on from the hardest things so that's how we move on from the hardest things is learning how to make jokes about everything and everything in life is like cartoonishly exaggerated as it is so it's 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 fun to put that into a musical format. Tune in to an exclusive interview with the American rock band, Bear Ghost. Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to The Skints. If you liked what you heard, please download the podcast and write us a review. And if you're feeling extra affectionate, follow us on Instagram at impresario_official. official. Also, I'm always looking for new bands to interview, so if you know of any, shoot me an email at erin.impresario at gmail.com.